0: Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. we press on here in our series, A Guide to Church Trouble. If you're taking notes, you can see that on the back of the bulletin. There's an opportunity, a space for you to do that. As we look here at chapter 9, we see... uh, how to approach your freedoms and your rights. In the context of 1 Corinthians, the mature, the strong, maybe you could say the the theologically proficient, the right thinkers were asserting their rights and freedoms even when it harmed others in the church. If you remember, we're coming off of, it's been several weeks now, Darren Bradley had us in chapter 8, and there in chapter 8, 13, Paul tells us, He would give up eating meat if he found out it caused his brother or sister to sin. You just think about that for a minute. Okay? Chapter 8 rolls right into chapter 9. And we have in front of us this morning a challenge. A calling being put to our calling, I guess you could say. A calling. What I mean by that is we have a calling that ought to define our call in Christ. And that is this. Christian. Give up your rights and freedoms. I just smoked some brisket last couple weeks. It's been a couple weeks now. All right? And I got to smoke it on my, my green egg. And it's the first time I've ever... You know what a green egg is? You guys know what I want? They're, it's really overpriced <laughs> smoker. Right? It's one of the best gifts I have ever received. All right? and it wasn't from my wife. She's not here to be like, well, what about, you know? So that's good. But it's one of the best gifts I've ever received. I love that thing. Sometimes I just go out in the garage and sit next to it. (laughs) You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about, see? Yeah. Anyway, thanks to some of our grill masters here at Southern Hills, I followed their direction and had some great smoked brisket, right? Now, some, maybe smoked meat is not your thing. Maybe it's a nice ribeye or filet mignon, medium rare, I'm sure. But the point Look what Paul says in verse 13 of chapter 8. If food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never again eat meat. Right? And I think if we are not looking at that statement through the lens of the cross, we will question how in the world, right? Why would you do that? That's absurd. Right? How is that even freedom? I thought we were free in Christ. Like, how is that in how is that even free? Again, this is part of the guide to church trouble. And it is so difficult to accept and practice in the everyday. And you know why it's difficult for us to practice this type of thing, right? To, to, to live what we see here. It's because we still live in the flesh, right? This idea of how to approach our rights and freedom is so counter-cultural, right? It's also counter to our flesh. Right? It's counter to my most basic desires. It's counter to the very fundamental understanding of rights and freedom. I mean, after all, right, church? You can agree with me on this. What good is a right? What good is a freedom if you don't exercise it? You think of all the different ways this plays out. Right? You can't tell me what to do. It's my house. Right, Don't tell me how to dress. It's my body. You owe me respect. You owe me this. You owe me that. Fair treatment. Don't you know my title? Don't you know my position? Right? And I just, when I said that, don't you know my title, I was thinking through this. I don't know. I just think of the title of mother. Right? How many times. And I'm not trying to throw my mom under the bus, you know. But, but I just think how many times. And you probably had your mom say this. I, can, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Right? right? That, my mom used that one a lot. Right? But it's kind of like that. Like she has this position. Don't you disrespect me, right? And it's kind of like, all right. But how is giving up my rights and freedoms? Here's the point. I got distracted a little bit. Here's the point. How is giving up my rights and freedoms being free? And just to answer that question, it's a freedom to serve God in a way that is not restricted by self. Right? It's freedom because. Because of Christ, I'm not bound to my interest, but now I am bound to the interest of God. And so there's more freedom in that. Uh, when I'm bound to just me and my interest, I, that's, uh, that's limited, isn't it? Paul's rights that he lays down are at the most basic level, financial payment for work. And that's what we see here in chapter 9. So he begins by establishing that if anyone is deserving of payment with this particular church, it would be Paul. In fact, not only do we see he would be worthy of this remuneration for his work, but even he ought to be paid better than others. And how does he establish that? Well, with some rhetorical questions, what I think, questions that they all accept. I don't think he's trying to convince them Of These things like they accept these things and he just puts it out there because he's trying to prove another point That he has these rights. All right, so let's read follow in verse one. I'll Begin there and read a few verses. I'm not free Am I not free am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord or my workmanship? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Right? You are my workmanship. That right there says something about that he ought to be paid, that he ought to be reimbursed. Right? And he builds off of that, establishing how right it would be for him to be paid. Verses 4 and 6. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers? Or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? See it there. And I think they they clearly know all the answers to these questions. He is saying, Paul is saying, it's right that their ministry would be at the expense of the church and that they wouldn't need other jobs to support themselves. And when he mentions other rights there in verse five, when he says there, if you look, it's right to believe to bring along a believing wife in their ministry journeys. He's not referring there, I don't think, uh, to a right to marry. All right, but instead that it would be right for them to bring a wife along at the expense of the church. Right, his point is that, is that in this part is he's trying to, that they're getting quite a deal. Right? Not only are they not paying them, they're not having to pay for their wives tagging along. Okay. And he goes on to give six illustrations as to why they should be paid, verses 7 through 15. We see these illustrations play out. One is seen in verse 7. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? And essentially what he's doing in this first point is making it clear, Look, hey, this is a basic principle in numerous lines of work. And many of you right here in the congregation have this experience, right? Many of you have jobs, and those jobs support you, right? You have work, and that work supports you and your household. Some of you have even been in the lines of work and are in the lines of work as it's listed here. Soldier, farmer, I don't think we have any shepherds but some of those other lines, right? The second illustration as to why they should be paid, so he's really just driving this down, r- r- making this point, helping them understand, right? They, it's right for them to be paid. It's verse two, or excuse me, second point, verse eight. As I'm saying this from a human perspective, Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. Is God really concerned about oxen? It goes on there. And essentially what this point is saying, Paul's just making the point that, hey, it's just and righteous to provide payment to the one working. Okay? Verse 11, we see another point. He says, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much to reap a material benefit from you? Hey, you pay in other things for work well done, right? We pay for the benefit of material service. How much more should we pay for the benefit of a spiritual services, right? You'd pay high dollar for that, right? Seems like you'd want to pay even more high dollar for Paul's spiritual service. And so I think he's going there. Another example seen in verse 12, if others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Hey, this has been the church practice. So he's saying, hey, this is the church practice. You've paid for others for church work. You know this is how it works. How much more should they be paying Paul and Barnabas, right? And specifically Paul. Another example seen in verse 5 as to why they should be paid. I keep saying my points when it's the verse 13. It's number 5, verse 13. Okay. Don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat, from food from the, eat food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar. And so he's just pointing to Old Testament priests and how they were paid for their service. So hey, this is a practice even in the Old Testament. And finally, he says his best for last. There, verse 14, in the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. The Lord, right? Right? He's saying, he's coming from Luke chapter 10, or we can look there and see chapter 10, verse 7, and this is his best argument, isn't it? Jesus said so. Okay? So it's clear that this is Paul's right. Yet Paul, what we see here in the text, lays down these rights. And what is the reason for this? Why does he say, not accept payment? Right? The why behind laying down rights and freedoms. We see it in verse 12. So that the gospel will not be hindered. That's what he says. As Paul looks at his life, he has a primary concern that drives him. What is that? It's the gospel. And if any right or freedom would hinder that, he... Is being very clear that he would lay that right down. For he sees in his life that he has one obligation. And that is to preach the gospel. In fact, he says in verse 16, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And there is a res- recognition here that sometimes holding to a right or freedom church in our lives prevents you, prevents me from preaching the gospel. Verse 12, very clear. I wonder, can we be this clear? Can I be this clear? Can you be this clear? He says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul's their founding father, their spiritual Birth, growth was a result of Paul's rich spiritual investment in their life. Even still, he did not exercise this right and probably did that because other itinerant preachers, that is, traveling preachers, were motivated by prophets, all right? Like we see in 2 Corinthians 2, 17, right? We see that there were many who were marketing the word of God for profit. Nobody does that in this day and age, right? But come on, you're paying attention. Right? Of course they do. Right? Another thing, when someone pays you, here's another point, maybe why. You didn't want to get accused of marketing for profit. That's one thing, because that was happening. And there was a problem with that. But the other thing is that you can feel obligated to be what they want. Right? And there was lots of problems going on in Corinth. And I suspect maybe that's part of it. Is that Paul's having to really deal with some major problems. And when you're, you know, it's like don't bite the hands that feed you. You know what I'm talking about? And so Paul's not accepting payment, maybe because he doesn't want to come under that and, and feel like an obligation to do things the way they want or to not confront certain people that need to be confronted. Right? When you are paid, you may feel you can't do certain things, that you can't correct. And that type of relationship was actually popular back then, that quid pro quo relationship. Certainly powerful and popular in many ways today, right? A church can think and a pastor can feel that their ministry is dependent on payment. And that's a problem, right? And it goes both ways. The purse can be used to keep a pastor, to get a certain pastor, or to get rid of or control or manipulate, right? And it's been used in all those ways in churches. And Paul didn't want anything to do with that. He didn't want anything to hinder his gospel ministry. And some of these types of things have been a problem, as we said, specifically the teaching for profit. Verse 15, he says, For my part I have used none of these rights, nor have I written these things, that they may be applied in my case. For it would be better for me to die than anyone to deprive me of my boast. His point is to say before the Lord in his conscience that he wants to be able to say that his ministry was compelled by the gospel and not manipulated or compelled by anything else. No hindrance to the gospel, right? I've not asked. What Paul is getting at here is I have not asked for money. And in in writing to you right now, Corinth, I am not asking for any money. I'm not asking for any back pay. I just want that to be clear. Like, I'm not making these points, right? Because he gave quite a bit of points, doesn't he? I mean, that's why we went through all of them. Because he's like making very clear, I have every right and probably the most right of anybody else that you ought to pay me and pay me well. But then, and he wants that to be clear, but he's saying, look, I want to be clear. I don't want it. I don't want it. And you think of that just a pause for a moment. Think if that. That tells us something about the condition of that church, I think. That Paul feels like, man, that could be a hindrance. To take money from these people based on all the stuff they're struggling with. Man, that could be a huge hindrance. And, and I would pray, of course, that we would never get in that kind of place where, where someone would feel that. right. Where the, and, and I think I hear about it all the time, actually, from my friends who are pastors. And they feel just like a hired hand. Right, and and then there's becomes this competition back and forth between whether they feel like they're getting paid enough, or and it's just and then how they're treated, and then what's expected, and not, and on and on. And I will, I can, with joy and praise and thanks, I do not experience that here. We do not have that kind of relationship. Praise God. Verse seventeen. I don't have a choice about preaching the gospel. Paul is saying, if he preaches, he preaches the gospel because he wants to, right? If he does it because he wants to, he has a reward. If he preaches because he has to, he's simply doing his duty. Whether he does it willingly or unwillingly, he's been entrusted with this job, and he executes. And here's what we're taking away from this, right? He executes this job without expecting thanks or reward. Okay. In fact verse 18 he appears to be saying his reward is to receive no reward all right that's pretty cool that's powerful verse 19 we learn that we learn the reason why Paul was free right or, or we see that he was free, or while he was free. He's putting that out there. I'm free, he's saying there. I'm not under any contract. Verse 19, let's read it. Although I am free from all, and not any slave, he says. So we see that he is free. He's not under any contract. I guess what we could say there is that Paul is a free agent, right? He could minister to who he wants to, uh, when he wants to, where he wants Right? He doesn't owe anyone. As he says, he's not any one slave. Yet, he voluntarily made himself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. That's what it says there in the second part of 19. I've made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. And as verse 23 says, right, it talks about sharing in the blessings. Paul wants to share in the blessings that come from the gospel, not from the people. So he takes his freedoms, his rights, his, his free agency, if you will, and we can look at that all kinds of different ways, right? He takes his free agency and he lays it down in order to win people to Jesus and share in the blessings. Read with me, follow with me as I read verses 24 and 25. Don't you know that runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we, an imperishable crown. Run to win. That's what he's saying. Everyone who competes exercises self control in everything. Why? To win this imperishable crown. Paul is motivated by this reward. Paul can say, I'm sacrificing, I'm suffering. I'm laying down my rights and it's all worth it, right? He can say that. It's all worth it. I can get taken advantage of, as he was here by these people. Ran over, misrepresented. But because I do not, like verse 26... But because I do not run like one, see there in 26, like one who runs aimlessly or box like one swinging at the air, instead, verse 27, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control. Paul's saying that as I live this life, I have a work in front of me that is worthy of me putting my everything into it, and I'm willing to strive after that work, that is, that is, Christian, what he's saying here in the work, this gospel work that is in front of him, what he's saying is that he is willing to work against the obstacles. That is, to struggle. The work of the church that is put in front of each one of us, which is to be the defining work of our lives, is a work, Christian, that has Many obstacles. We've seen this throughout Mark and Jesus' call to discipleship, right? It is a work that's calling on your life in Christ is a calling that has many obstacles. And if we are not set to enter the arena like a determined boxer, the obstacles will cause us to quit, you see? But the work... In front of us, with our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith, is a work worthy of striving for. The work gives our striving against the obstacles, because you wouldn't be striving if there's just smooth sailing, if there's no no striving. Striving tells us that there's obstacles. This work gives our striving purpose and direction, right? Right? What gives me purpose and direction and hope for another day is not getting an encouraging note from somebody, right? What gives me purpose and direction and and being able to press on for another day is is not fair treatment. What gives me purpose and hope and able to press on for another day is is not a, ah, that a boy, keep up the work, or applause, or whatever, right? But an imperishable crown That's what keeps us pressing on. We're not after temporary benefit. We're not after, hear this, this is hard. We're not after a change of scenery in this life because we're living for the scenery of heaven. Amen? I continue the work, the gospel work. The ministry that Christ has called, and this is all of us have this calling on our life to go and make disciples. We continue in that work when we have eyes set on the author and perfecter of our faith. And just think about this in every other arena of life, right? We'll continue in work when we have eyes on the product. We endure when our eyes and heart are fixed on a prize, don't we? I mean, we could think of numerous examples of this. You know, I remember my son, he was raising money uh, to, to buy a PlayStation 5. And you can critique me. You, you shouldn't critique me, you know, in a way that's sinful in your heart. But I did let him do that, okay? I, I let him buy a PlayStation 5. I think I'm even sharing that. I'm kind of lamenting over that and thinking maybe that was the wrong decision. Anyway, we did it. But, man, I thought this kid is, you know, and he's working on these things and other things uh, to save up money. Actually, I forget what it was. It may not have been for that. But anyway, he starts working, and I'm thinking, man, at this rate, I'm ready to buy this kid a lawnmower and, like, get him set up for a business. I was like, he is going to be like the new you know, lawnmower guy in town. I mean, he was going out, knocking on doors, getting all kinds of business. And and that's it. Actually, that was it that I learned. He was raising money for something else. And as soon as that money was raised, like, you know, it's like trying to get him out of his room. Okay, uh, <laughs> what happened to the guy that was, you know, really going at it? And and so, uh, but that's how we all are, right? I pick on him. But that's how we all are in many ways. Uh And we understand, we understand when there is a goalpost out there to aim at, we understand what it is. Humans know how to endure for something we want. That's the only point. All of us are like that, right? And we will go through great sacrifice and great expense to get the thing we want in this life, in the flesh. And there are ones and prizes that are good, but they are temporary. Yet what do we do? We work, endure, and discipline ourselves to obtain. And so how much more? That's what he's saying here. When we put our faith in Christ, we are put and placed by Christ in a different race. See? A different work. We are given a new life pursuit. And it doesn't just become more important than the other pursuits. See? See, Christian, it's not just another race we add to our list of races. It's the only race. And we abandon all other races because we've been qualified to run with Christ. As verse 27 says, we run in such a way so as to not be disqualified. We box, run with a purpose because we've been given this new work. What comes with the new work is a new purpose, a new prize. And with that in front of us, we run Or if you prefer the metaphor for boxing, we box. We enter the ring with discipline. I think that is the thrust of the metaphor. Like the athlete goes through immense training, sacrifice, self-denial. The early workout, right? Think of the athlete. The early morning workouts, pushing to fatigue, strict diets. Their days and their nights revolve around their eating and their training, right? Right? Right, if you are an athlete, you know what I'm talking about. Any athletes in the room? Okay. Three or four. Okay. So what about the rest of you? Well, if you're not an athlete, you've probably seen Rocky. Okay? You've probably seen Rocky 1, or Rocky 2, or Rocky 3, or Rocky 4. Okay, you get the point. You've probably seen one of the nine Rockies out there. And so You know what I'm getting at. You know what this text is getting at. The discipline keeps you from being disqualified from competing. In boxing and wrestling, even there are weight classes. In running, there are times you have to meet in order to qualify for the race. The example uh, would be for the Boston Marathon. You have to qualify with a three-hour time or less to enter the Boston Marathon. You have to discipline your body. And if you want to win the Boston Marathon and beat one of those guys from Kenya, right Amos? Are you here? Okay. Beat one of those guys from Kenya, you've got to run that marathon in less than two hours and five minutes and 54 seconds. And so you've got to bring, as this text says, your body under strict control even more if you want to win. Jesus has placed us in a race that defines how we are to run and how we are to discipline. Kingdom race values, think of it, versus worldly race values. Our earthly, worldly, fleshly races have different values, don't they? And we don't run our new race according to old rules and guidelines, according to old discipline processes. We have new kingdom guidelines to follow, and we train and discipline according to those. An example of some of the new discipline, right, As seen here in this text. We have rights we don't take. Jesus laid down his rights to his own life. So Jesus shows us this. Jesus laid down his rights to his own life. This is how you and I know what love is. Huh. That's how I show love? Yeah, it's how we know what love is. We are to also lay down our very lives like he Laid down his, to love like he loved. So, of course, one of the guiding disciplines that is part of our new gospel work in the only race we're fixed on running is the guiding discipline in that race is denying ourselves things that are rightfully ours, just like Jesus did. Ha, yes. So we have the example of Christ. We have the example of the disciples when they were first called in Mark 1. If you remember that. The disciples lay down their rights. How does that? Well, they laid down their nets. I'm in a new race. I'm going with Jesus. They laid down their nets, their livelihood. And they followed Jesus. And another example that's not a good example, but Mark 10. We see the rich young ruler did not lay down his rights. And here in our text, we have Paul laying down his rights and freedom. And in verse 16, we see this training, this type of discipline is not compelled by fair treatment or proportionate payment. Those had clearly been set aside by Paul, and yet runners run just as hard if they had been receiving fair treatment and proportional payment. So you're not, you're not demanding that. In fact, you're even laying that aside, but you still run just as hard. Why? Because you're compelled by gospel. In fact, Paul says he even would feel a sense of dread if he didn't preach and model the gospel, right? There in 16, woe to me. And I was thinking of us. Who are the ones God has called us to serve? Who are the one and others in our lives that we are to give up our rights and our freedoms for? And the answer to that question is look around. Right? Start there. The answer to that question is you're sitting next to them. Right? You're sitting in front of them. You're sitting behind them. You're sitting on the opposite side of the room than them. That's who. It's important to note that Paul is not laying down his right to fair treatment, proportional payment, so that he can escape some responsibility. He's not doing this to escape some of the intensity, to not have to run as hard. Like he's not coming with this attitude, hey, I gave up this, so you can't have me on the hook for that. Right? That's not what, how he's approaching it. That is not what drives him to lay down his rights and freedoms. He's compelled to do so, and he's compelled to the work of the ministry by Jesus and his gospel, not by fair treatment or proportional payment or self-care. And this, of course, is a vastly different guideline from a worldly perspective. Whatever race we are talking about, right? parenting, career, marriage, singleness, okay, the question, the guiding principle in those worldly races is what's fair, is what's the right proportional payment. And Paul is saying that those of us following Christ, this is not to be what guides us. We enter the ring, we enter the race, and the obstacles that present and Sometimes even stay with us. Those don't deter us. Why, Christian? Because we aren't driven in our work by how people respond to us or don't respond. We aren't driven in our work, right? In our ministering work to others, we aren't driven by some guarantee that we will get to exercise our rights and our freedoms. We're not driven by that. We, in fact, recognize that there will be many times, Christian, we recognize this. We recognize in our confession that there will be many times that we have to lay our rights down, lay our freedoms down in order to model and preach the gospel. Right? Verse 19 states very clearly, We serve as slaves. We become whatever the master needs. We've looked at this. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slaves, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win. We become whatever the master needs. Now pay attention, because right when I just say that, if you're not paying attention, you'll miss who the master is that I'm just referring to. The master here in verse 19 that I'm referencing When Paul's talking about slaves, when there's a slave, there's a master, right? And so it's not Jesus, right? The master is everyone. Wow. Paul says, while he is free from anyone, he has made himself a slave to everyone. And as we we see in what follows, verse 20, that he becomes whatever anyone needs in order to win more people to Jesus. And this is to, to be what what helps us focus, right? And, and we we'll are have this type of focus in all our relationships that we find ourselves in. Verse 20, he says, To the Jews I became like a Jew to win Jews, to those under the law like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. He is not compromising salvation by saying that. He is not compromising salvation by faith alone Right, Not by works of the law, as he says over in Galatians 2.16. Paul speaking as a Jew, two Jews advocating for freedom from legalism. Right? And next he, he speaks about how he ministers to Gentiles. Verse 21, Do those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. And so he says, he's speaking and referring to Gentiles, in order to reach Gentiles, what Paul's saying there, that he refused to allow the law, like certain eating requirements, keep him from eating with and reaching Gentiles. He was not being a licentious person. He was not, in this statement, using the gospel of grace as a license to sin. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying very clearly that he's no longer under the Old Testament law. And we notice there in verse 21, that does not mean he is not under God's law. He is, but he points out to us that this is a new law, the law of Christ. He goes on, verse 22, to say, To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I've become all things, he says, to all people, so that I may by every possible, hear this, so that I may by every possible means save some. Now I do this because, I do all of this because of the gospel, so that I may share in the blessing. I just think about how this text has been misinterpreted. Even just right there, twenty To the weak I become weak in order to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. See the goal there. Paul's motivation of what sounds like a chameleon-like gospel strategy is not fear of man. People have certainly used this passage to justify easing their grip on God's word in order to be palatable to a secularized culture so that they might reach more people as what they might say. And so they back off of certain teachings in God's Word because they know that some of those teachings would cause problems and it, people wouldn't like that and they'd turn away and they wouldn't come into the church. Right? But, but that is a, a fear of man approach. That's not what Paul is doing here. And that is actually a guide toward trouble in the church, not away from it. It's a roadmap to drifting away from the gospel, not tracking with it. Look at the end of 22. All things to all people is motivated by gospel truth, right? Becoming a slave to everyone in order to win them. All those with faith in Christ, all of us, are called to this level of discipleship, right? All those in here who put their faith in Christ, you're called to this level of discipleship. We ought to be able to say, and I was just, I wrote this as brothers and sisters, thinking of brothers and sisters in a home because I, I'm witnessing that a lot and how they act with one another. And so I first thought, man, brothers and sisters, just in a home environment, right? Along these lines, they ought to be able to say to one another, and can you imagine the siblings in your home right now genuinely saying this to one another? Saying, I'm going to be your slave. Wouldn't that be nice, parent? Oh, wow, how, look at that. I'm going to be the, the older one going to the younger one. I just want to serve you. You want to wear my clothes? That's fine. What I have, what's mine is yours, right? I'm going to be your slave. I'm going to serve you, right? I just, man, just the sweet. I think I was dreaming, right? I was dreaming in the spirit. When I, when I just came with these, I'm going to lay down my rights in order to prefer you. I'm going to do it, not under compulsion to get something from you, but because I'm motivated by how Jesus laid down his rights for me. Can you imagine the siblings in your home just doing that with one another? But really, as I, as I reread it, I forgot that I had written it that way, and I was like tracing a thought, and when I read it again, I was like, well, that's brothers and sisters in the church. I mean, that's the obvious. Right? it should take place in the home too it should take place in your relationships too you ought to be able to say that to one another right there in the home and sometimes those are the hardest places to say it I'm here to be your slave what? to your spouse to your children I'm here to serve you I'm here for your benefit being all things to all people that's not a call to abandon truth As we'll see in the coming chapters, it isn't a call to abandon truth, but to abandon, hear this, but to abandon our freedoms and rights for the sake of helping others grow and mature as Christians and helping those who are not yet Christians to become Christians. And so to accomplish that, we're willing to lay down our rights and our freedoms. It's something, isn't it? It's it's like this was written just for us Westerners. So very autonomous and individualistic. We make great capitalists. What's mine is mine. What I earned is mine. What you earned could be mine. Right? Right? We know in our individualistic, autonomous minds, we know our rights, don't we? You don't have to tell. You don't have to be told what your right is. You know your rights, and then you, you got five more that you're trying to make make be your rights, right? We know what's fair. We are good at measuring how much we are giving and yet not receiving. And so when it comes to having freedoms in Christ and certain rights in terms of what the Bible would be teaching and how we should be treated, we could think, Christian, that we are in a good place with the Lord because we're holding on to our rights, as believers, but all the while hurting a brother or sister in the Lord, we could be like, well. The Bible says, "I deserve this." The, the Bible says, "I." In the case we've read here and Darren taught on, well, like I can eat this, or I should eat this, and or I don't have to eat this, or whatever, right? And we can all do it. Usually, it's done in the context of the church. It's done with that kind of like theological. Biblical license and conviction. But to demand our rights. Not give up our freedom in Christ. On a certain thing. Could help. If that could help keep a brother from sin. But instead of giving up that right. We demand it. And we cause someone to sin, and that is sin. Did you follow? Verse 24 and 25. The metaphor here is communicating to us that in order to win, we are to give up temporary privileges, pleasures, joys, so that we can win the prize that Christ would give. This idea of running in a race. And running in such a way to win. 26 and 27 talks about being disqualified. Let me read it to us. I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. We don't want to be disqualified, do we? We don't want to be disqualified because of how we are running. We don't want God to say, in that sense, what does it mean to be disqualified, to be able to say to us, hey, you are unapproved for this race right now. You are running, but you are not running well anymore. And what we see happens, as we'll get into further in chapter 10 and 11, that a life can be cut short because of the discipline of God. So, run so you can finish the race. I don't think any of us want to have to get yanked from the context, right? In chapter 10, it goes on to warn of Israel's past that God uh, most certainly does discipline and disqualify. In a single day, he disqualified 23,000 people by killing them. In verse 11, we see this type of discipline is still happening. It's one mechanism God uses to guide his church out of trouble. In chapter 11, 30 through 32, the sick, ill, and, and many died. And that is connected to, that was connected to the discipline and judgment of God. When we don't properly judge ourselves, the Lord does it. So that we, His church, may not be condemned to the world, and so that we, His church, will not be a hindrance to the gospel. But one of the reasons we train, as this passage is talking about, One of the reasons we engage in spiritual disciplines in our daily lives is so that we can lay down our rights and our freedoms so that we can give up that ribeye or what have you. And sometimes it's not that simple, but I hope that's just illustrative and you fill in there. But so that we can give that up if we need to. We are looking at our rights, freedoms, comforts, privileges. As believers, we're looking at all those things through the lens of the cross. Willing. In our confession, we want to be willing to give up freedom here in order to exercise greater freedom given to us in Jesus. Compelled to do so. Compelled to give up the good thing because Christ has given us everything. Right? As much as I want that whatever it is, that juicy steak or whatever, I can lay it aside because Jesus' gospel has freed my mind and heart from believing that something here in my temporary is more valuable. Right? I don't believe it. I believe I'm running a race for the, the imperishable. Um, I'm living a life that's committed to to, to running after Jesus Christ. Eyes fixed on my heavenly reward. Blessed. Blessed in this life. Not because I'm noticed for some uh, sacrifice or good work, but blessed because of the joy and the blessings that come from serving Christ. Right? Fighting, battling for His reward. Not for momentary. And how much, right? I know this is a conviction to me. How much, like, we don't, like, in our battle, where, we're, where we don't feel, like, noticed or, or we feel ignored or we feel that, uh, yeah, that we're not being treated fairly. And how much do those pressures, right, cause us to want to, to just quit? I think they do, don't they? Like some of the injustices that you face, some of the suffering that you face that we all face. It causes us to just want to quit. And Paul's saying here that he he like purposely like isn't receiving certain rights. Right? He 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 knows that part of Fonka is just part of like suffering and the injustice that comes. Even from a fellow churchman, it's just part of it. And he, he just walks into it. And the Lord sustains him. And he keeps running. I pray that will be, uh, that will be us. And certainly that is the guide out of trouble, to keep our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith, knowing that he will sustain us and guide us and give us joy even. When we have these opportunities to give up those things that are rightfully ours. And there we learn to, to experience even more freedom. Uh, right? Not constrained to this temporary place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and We recognize that as we think about this race and and the battle we're in, the boxing, the running, the training that goes on spiritually, Lord, we ask for your help to lay down our rights and freedoms. No, we didn't give a lot of specific examples of that today, but Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would lay on our hearts uh, some of what that could be for each individual in here that you would illuminate the text even more so that we can see those areas we need to lay down, those freedoms we need to give up. Help us stay in the race, Lord Jesus. Help us focus on the real battle that is right in front of us, recognizing that the battle that we here in the church are in together and even as we walk individually out from here, the battles that we face is and the race that we're running, and the obstacles that present. Lord, they, they present in the physical so often, God, but you tell us that our battle is not against flesh and blood. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd help us to remember that and give us success in the battles that we face, that we would fix our eyes on you, knowing that you will sustain us. And so, Lord, we confess. We want to confess this morning that if there are those who are here this morning who who have who have made the battle about flesh and blood and and are really stuck and fixating here, Lord, I ask that you'd help them to to reset their heart and mind. Refocus their, their efforts and the power of your spirit to to really go after go after Lord all the things that you'd have them to be running after in this life and, and not get dragged down and by all the the stresses and pains that can come in this life, Lord, that that they wouldn't control or dictate us. So Lord, we're just asking for help this morning. I know we need it in these things. And we look to you to provide it so that we can run and, and not be aimless in our running, not be aimless in our boxing, in our pursuing, but be guided by you. And we can help each other in these things. Lord, will you minister to our hearts with these truths? In Jesus' name, amen.